0: By Riverside. Hello and welcome everybody. It is 4th and 1 podcast time. I am your host today, Captain Warren. Along with not CFP insider Roberto. (laughs) As Fancy Trash Can is taking the week off this week. So it is... A Tuesday afternoon. You are listening to this on a Friday morning, hopefully. So hopefully your commute to work is going well. Some very exciting news for those of you that do not know. The college football playoff is set. It is Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and then Ohio State. Roberto, last week the championship games really did not disappoint.
1: No, it I would say there was one surprising game, one very surprising game, the other ones I could was kind of I could tell it could be either war just based off how they played last week or the first time they played them. but I mean, it was definitely full of excitement.
0: Wait, which game did you did you think was the surprise game?
1: Uh, the most surprising one I would say was USC. All right, I didn't well, expect them to lose as much as what they did. Like losing by three, okay, because they only lost by two last time, but to lose in the fashion they did.
0: Yeah, all right. Well then that's just uh, kind of jump in right there. So USC was a win and in situation for the college football playoff for those of you who didn't know. Yeah, if you didn't go listen to last week's episode everywhere you can get your podcast, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Fourth and One Podcast. It was not evident early because USC had like 200 or something total yards in that first quarter. Caleb Williams was making plays, seemed like it was the lock to win the Heisman, and they quickly went up 17-3, to and then Utah found its grip. Found its footing and kind of battled back, and as you said, it was very surprising. Final score was forty-seven to twenty-four. However, I think what gets lost here is that Caleb Williams really tweaked his hamstring in that uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. That I think, I don't know if it would have played out differently just because USC's defense missed twenty-two tackles, but it definitely would have been more interesting. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams, before
1: he ended up tweaking, like, his ankle or calf, I mean, he looked, like, almost unstoppable. And even their defense looked unstoppable for a minute. But then you you just forget to tackle. Like, I don't know how you just forget to do that. Like, that was probably the poorest performance of tackling I've at least seen in a very long time.
0: Yeah, and you are 100% not wrong. For those of you who didn't watch the game, let's let's be honest, it's most of our fan base. I mean, it was it was what? There was a 3rd and 18 play where they threw like a little in route like 8 yards behind the first down marker and it was three missed tackles and then it was a 45-yard touchdown. It, it was very concerning. I'm not exactly sure why Lincoln Riley took Alex Grinch with him. I didn't really love his work in Oklahoma when he was there, but I guess that they get along and they both wear visors. So I guess they yeah. have that in common and they're <laughs> going to do that. I, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like a failed marriage from the start.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you, you got to get rid of your defensive coordinator now. Like, cause you can't, you cannot continue to be competitive and be a threat for the college football playoff with defense like that.
0: Yeah, well, and again, as I, as we've said many times, it was Lincoln Riley was just back in Oklahoma. He literally just took Oklahoma and put it in Los Angeles with the sunshine and beaches. All right, so that'll be a very interesting offseason. Let's see if USC can recap. Let's see if Caleb Williams plays in their... New Year's 6 game. I I think they get Tulane. That seems very lopsided. I feel very bad for Tulane, but that's easily going to be a... The score might be reversed. USC might beat Tulane uh, you 47-24 now. Uh, Let's go to what my surprise game was, Georgia LSU. I anticipated that to be within 17 points. It feels... A lot like the Michigan-Purdue game, how Purdue kind of hung around, but Michigan did enough right things that made that score look more inflated than what it was. And I definitely thought that that's how LSU-Georgia was going to go. And then I turn on the TV, and it's halftime, and it's 35-10. to 10. Yeah, and
1: LSU pretty much found almost every single way to lose that game. They had a lot of weird bounces that normally don't happen, but I mean, Georgia just Georgia showed up as number one, showed why they're number one, and left as number one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I, it,
1: that's the best team.
0: Yeah, it, it was. It wasn't even close in any uh, shape or form. What do you think is worse for a coach to have the not knowing the rules that when the ball is blocked and it goes by beyond the line of scrimmage, that the opposing team can return it. Or, so you have to either go down it or make sure that no one picks it up, or having 22 missed tackles in a conference championship game.
1: I would say 22 missed tackles because that's just basic fundamentals. Like, that's stuff you learn in Pee Wee. The, The whole rule thing... Yeah, you should know the rule, but with the way rules change every year, I could see how that kind of, I mean, even though it is like a very easy rule that really hasn't changed that much, but you can't miss tackles. Two tackles, okay. 22 tackles, not so much.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I... <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's worse about... Missed tackles are a reflection of players because let's be honest, these coaches are probably teaching the players how to correctly tackle. The players just aren't executing. I'm going to say it's a coach problem that the LSU LSU coaching staff wasn't screaming, go to it. Like the ball's live, the ball's live. And so I'm going to put that all on the LSU coaching staff. Uh, either way, whether they returned that or not, so it would have been twenty-eight to ten at the half, and they would have forty-three instead of thirty, uh, or instead of fifty. So again, it would have been kind of that thirteen-point game there, but it really didn't matter because it, the game went exactly how I thought it was going to go, how we both thought it was going to go. Georgia was in control from the jump, and nothing was going to change that. Um, Tulane UCF, which was. A great game first time around, which was going on at the same time as LSU, Georgia, was a blowout early. Then UCF made a comeback because John Rice plumly came back in the game, UFC's starting quarterback. He did not start, came back in, let a comeback, got it to within three. I think it was 33 to 30 at one point. And then Tulane kind of used that running game and put it on UFC. US- uh, UCF and John Rice Plumlee really couldn't run around. Uh, so Tulane should get it, or does get the group of six against USC? Their chances are what in that game? Uh,
1: I would say it's a fifty-fifty shot for them, just because they're they're going to struggle on defense. If Caleb Williams plays, they'll struggle on defense just because. The offense is definitely not an offense that they've played before. But, I mean, they can still pick apart a USC defense because if USC can't tackle, I mean, Tulane's probably going to put 50 on
0: them. It'll be very interesting because the level of athletes, that that's always the story in this game, are the athletes for Tulane, can they hold up, especially in on defense and man-to-man coverage, and can the receivers get separation on the USC corners? I mean, that's always the conversation with these David versus Goliath-type game. Tulane has a shot because they're very good at running the football. They're one of the best in the country. Uh, They run for over 200 yards a game, let alone uh, Travion. Is that his name? It's uh, uh, Taj Spears for Tulane ran the ball 22 times for 200 yards and a touchdown on UCF. So they have a very balanced offense, um, and USC does not defend the run all that well, but they're very good at turn, at getting takeaways, so I think Tulane needs to just stay away from the takeaways. Uh, let's not harp on it too much just because we're both Michigan fans. Michigan did what needed to be done. Listen, their, their level of defense right now is... We're going to allow you to move the ball. It's very NFL style. We're going to allow you to move the ball in between the 20s. We're going to tighten up in the red, red zone and make you kick field goals if and rely on turnovers and sacks before that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, what they did is what we expected them to do, uh, except they played a lot more zone in the beginning, which you could see, I mean, they kind of picked them apart in the at least the first half, then kind of switched over to man, and that kind of... That kind of sealed it up for them. Um, offense did what they needed to do. So I, they just, you know, it looked like Michigan. Second half, they came out, held them the field goals.
0: I, I'm going to be very intrigued to see if Harbaugh in the playoff kind of loosens the reins on JJ McCarthy cuz that's kind of it's kind of felt like it's been building with the Ohio State game with the Big 10 championship game they've been a, relying on him to throw the ball downfield a little bit more and i think his best passes come between 15 and 25 yards down the field that's where he is most accurate the passes longer than that i feel like he loses accuracy and then From 15 in, for whatever reason, especially 10 and in, I feel like he can get a little erratic, especially high and low and not very good catchable uh, catch-and-run balls he can throw.
1: Yeah, and we're reaching the point in the season where you can't hold anyone back because you're at the point now where there is no tomorrow. If you win, yeah, you're going on. But if you lose because you're being too uh, too conservative then, you know, that that's on us. But with JJ, I mean, his deep ball looks good to a certain aspect. A lot of times he just overthrows everybody. Um, But in the first half of the season, all his short passes were spot on. But then it seemed like the second half of the season, that kind of went to the wayside almost. But the mid-range shots seemed to get better. So I don't know if that's just something that they're kind of trying to, like, improve, but letting something regress. But, I mean, if he can get at least two of the three areas to where he's more accurate, I think we'll be a lot better.
0: He's a very good in-rhythm quarterback. So when he can literally take a drop, step up, on a hitch, and then de- and then deliver the ball, I feel like he's best. Or if it is a snap, catch, and throw right away, I feel like he's great, which I think all quarterbacks are, but he's still young. He still has another season, another two seasons uh, at Michigan if he wants it, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. And we'll get into a preview uh, here in just a minute. Uh, Clemson, North Carolina, never really a game. Clemson, kind of, mm-hmm. its defense came out angry and frustrated and thus put the nail in the coffin on the DJ Ui Oh, experiment, if you will, that at Clemson. Um, it's hard to follow a generational talent, and he was following Trevor Lawrence. But all things that Clemson's quarterbacks have to do in that system is run the football in big moments, and he was not able to. And then you have to be able to. Find momentum off of your running ability to be able to throw from the pocket. And DJ just never found comfortable. So they turned to a freshman in the championship game, Cade Klubnick, and it will be supposedly his team next year.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like Clemson was almost the ACC version of Michigan where you had two really good quarterbacks you had one who was more of a seasoned veteran one who was like the freshman or at least the underclassman. and both of them are real they're both good but i think they finally reached the point where the it's almost like the changing of the guard where how we stepped more towards jj and cade they're gonna they're saying okay club nick time instead of DJ because he gives us more of that weapon.
0: And Clemson's always going to have, you know, those running backs and wide receivers. So why not just, there needs to be a distributor and he needs to be accurate. And that's what Cade brought. Uh, You're all, you're also if your Clemson don't get away from that running game, will Shipley and then Maffa in the backfield, they, they're just going to always have running backs. you know it, yeah. it, It's what we anticipate Michigan becoming. They're always just going to have running backs and uh, really be able to produce at that level uh, in the backfield. So you need that distributor at, at the quarterback position and DJ just he was a roller coaster, you know, really good when he was good and then really bad when he was bad. And then the game of the day also happened at noon, which was number 10 Kansas State upsetting number three TCU. So they win and go to the Cotton Bowl. Is that right? And they will take on an Alabama team. Yep. Uh, So Kansas State defeats TCU. It didn't hurt TCU any because of all the wins you put in, in the regular season. College football has the best regular season because if TCU loses one of those games, they're out. They're not even in anymore. And because they were undefeated up until this point, their seeding <laughs> didn't drop. A lot can be said about that game. Kansas State jumped out to a, another healthy lead, just like in their first matchup. And then Max Duggan put on the hero cape. couple things. First of all, Max Duggan, excellent performance. Came up six inches short, literally, and also you came up six inches short, and um, you don't quarterback sneak at once.
1: Yeah, I I really questioned the whole that whole uh, overtime because he got them the whole way down there in the four, real late in the fourth. I mean, he did everything possible. But then three straight downs, you just hand it off up the middle. And it's like, I get, you know, your offensive line was doing well and you have faith in your line, but you got to give it. let the man do his job. You know, you got to let the guy who got you down there to take over, you know, that he's the quarterback. But TCU hurt themselves because there was a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of just mistakes, turnovers, and – It was a really good game, and it showed a lot from TCU, in my opinion. Um,
0: I also think, and you're going to disagree with me, Simeon on the live stream disagreed with me. If you are a team that runs 95% of their offense out of the shotgun, like most every college football team, right? Your offensive linemen are used to running out of the shotgun. You get better looks if you put four receivers on the field or or three receivers and a tight end on the field and you're five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and I know people hate that. But especially in Sonny Dyke's Garrett-Riley system where it is 98% out of the shotgun, you could have run quarterback power there, which they ran late in the fourth quarter or on a fourth and two. Kendra Miller gets a running start. I just feel like when these shotgun based teams then line up under center, everybody knows what's coming. At least in shotgun it's anything could happen here. But when you go from shotgun to under center and you're a shotgun based team, everyone knows what's coming. And I have a big problem with that and I know your people are gonna be like, just quarterback sneak it. Okay, that's fine. But then at least try to quarterback sneak it one time and they didn't they had three tries to do it and they didn't do it any time.
1: Right. Uh, right. I mean, doing it out of the shotgun, especially for TCU, it's it's different for TCU compared for Michigan. So for Michigan, obviously our strength is between the tackles under center, where if Michigan would go into the shotgun and do it, it's kind of like, what are we doing? Where TCU in that system, it works and it gives them a lot more options. So I think in for that game, yeah, they should have been, at least in the shotgun, or even a pistol formation, just to give you either the running head start or even the opportunity for your tight end or someone to kind of leak out and give uh, Duggan the opportunity to, hey, it's not up the middle. He pulls it, gives the option for a dump off if, like, they need it.
0: Uh, I completely uh, 100% agree. Uh, I just want your quick reaction thoughts to this breaking news that just came across my desk right now. Rams claim quarterback Baker Mayfield off of waivers.
1: I mean, I don't know why you would do it. But, I mean, I guess... I mean, that's kind of surprising. I would have figured that it would have been San Francisco... Wow, well, with, with Jimmy G going down, but
0: are are they doing just to spite? So San Francisco was pretty low on the waiver list. Apparently, Rams were like fourth. Are the Rams doing it just so that the Niners aren't don't get probably to do it? Just right
1: as a, like, a strategy deal?
0: Right. Um, I my thing was after the Super Bowl where there was that indecisive like is McV- McVay going to retire? You know. Um, you know, what's going to happen, you know, does Aaron Donald want to come back? Is he going to ask for a trade to Pittsburgh? You know, one of those things. I was in the mindset of, if you're the Rams, you won the Super Bowl, you paid all this money, trade, and you spent all these first-round picks, or you traded them away. Trade Aaron Donald, get two first-round picks. Trade Jalen Ramsey, get two first-round picks, right? Like, Jalen Ramsey, you paid him all that money. Corners only ever decline, And mm-hmm. he, he over- Overachieved in his peakness. Like Once he peaks, it's like a year later they fall off a cliff. Jalen Ramsey sustained that for about three seasons and then fell off a cliff this year. So yeah, it, this offseason, they need to go out, get some first-round picks, r- get their draft picks back, uh, try to get some help at the wide receiver and offensive line and go. Baker Mayfield will just stabilize the ship and I think let them see what position talent they have like do they like is van jefferson an actual good wide receiver because you can't count on on perkins kendrick not kendrick perkins uh, perkins their quarterback now so that's that's my theory anyway all right well back to college things we know the best uh so previewing the college football playoff listen i don't want to break down every game we'll do that in a few weeks so everyone uh tune back in in a few weeks um uh, for for that episode, well, tune in every week. But in a few weeks, we'll do it. We'll do it right before. Um, if you're the Big Ten Conference, this is exactly what you wanted. The SEC has been top dog. The SEC has always has always been the conference to get two teams in. The SEC has gotten two teams in, and then both made the Natty multiple times. If you're the Big Ten Conference, you have Ohio State versus Georgia, Michigan versus TCU. One of those teams has to win. Minimum, one team has to win, and the other game has to be within 10 points. That's how this has to go. Now, I would like the Michigan win, Ohio State keeps it close with Georgia, which is what I think it's going to end up being, or that's what I would put my money on. But conference-wise, this is the Big Ten's chance. You always put Michigan, Ohio State, last, the last game of the season because they're the best team. The Big Ten East, is uh, the, the East and West divisions are the most lopsided divisions in all of college football. The East has won every single Big Ten championship since the inception of East versus West. This is your time to shine. As a conference, Michigan and Ohio State are carrying a lot on their shoulders.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the opportunity to say, listen, the Big Ten is – we're the best. We play the best football and we play in the worst weather conditions. Like we are football. And if you can somehow get Michigan and Ohio state in the national championship, I'm pretty sure the sec and Paul Feinbaum will absolutely riot because that not only is going to be the matchup of the ages, but that also sets the tone that lets everyone know that the big 10 is still the top dog.
0: I, I, uh, me and Simon were talking about something one time on the podcast. And I said, we, if you just have one man writing, Is that technically a riot? And he goes, no, I just think that's vandalism. So I I can just imagine, can you just picture it now? Paul Feinbaum, for those of you who don't know what he looks like, go out and Google him. Mom, dad, that's for you. Go out and Google Paul Feinbaum. And then just imagine, close your eyes and imagine him rioting in the streets of Tuscaloosa, right? Just running around with a spray paint can and his big satellite ears and his bald head. And it's a very funny picture. Uh, The but This is best-case scenario for the Big 12. I said before the season, best-case scenario for the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas leaving is that another team, besides Oklahoma and Texas, wins the Big 12 and more importantly makes the college football playoff because then that will signal to other conferences, maybe Pac-12, Mountain West, whoever, and the College Football Playoff Committee, we are still a viable conference. We're staying here. We can still produce teams other than Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, it was almost
1: like a last-ditch last effort for the Big 12. Other Because your other conference that's in dire need of anything good is the Pac-12. And for the Big 12 to come in and say, we're still in this. We are still a threat, even though we're losing two of our best teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you even said it like that's the best case scenario for them, and hopefully they end up getting like some teams from you know they get maybe they get Colorado back, or maybe they try and get Texas A and M back because they're not doing anything in the SEC, and try and build that conference up to where there's more options, especially with moving to 12 teams. I,
0: I think it was the PAC 12 shot to really finally get back from Oregon as well with USC, you know, having that shot. I thought it was as USC probably won't be there in, well, they're going to big, they're going to make the move win
1: 2024. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so in two seasons as well them in UCLA possibly with that situate how that situation pans out. The, to me this was the Pac-12's last shot. Now the Pac-12 to me are are the outsiders because even if UC USC would have made the college football playoff you still have the same problem that the, that the Big 12 would have had if Oklahoma or Texas would have made the playoff this year. Man. Who exactly is carrying that conference besides the two L.A. teams that are going to be go join forces with Michigan and Ohio State? So I, I thought that this was kind of li- like, listen, um, Kevin DeBoer from Washington, he's going to do a great job. I think Oregon State and Oregon. But it's going to be the Pacific Northwest that's going to have to carry this. It's going to be those three teams, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington, I believe, because I think at some point, maybe even Utah sniffs around the Big 12. Utah and Colorado, they both sniff around the Big 12. Um, and, and Utah's always good for two losses of, in the middle of the year, like, what are you doing? So, yeah. it, do you agree, or do you think that the, the Pac-12, that Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington can carry that load? I think. Mean- if anyone's going to
1: carry that load, in my opinion, it's going to be Utah. Because Utah has been the most consistent within that conference, in my to, to me at least. Because you have Oregon, who plays good when they need to, but then if it's a must-win game, Oregon can't do it. And then you have Utah, who kind of, they're under the radar most of that season. And then it's like, oh, here's Utah, who's... 10-2, and, and then they go and they win the Pac-12 championship again. Like, to me, it's it's Utah. You know, they lose one or two, but...
0: They have made four of the last five Pac-12 championship games. So you would be right in your assessment. Also, the expansion in 2024 will help them, because now, like, that win over a number four USC, they were sitting at 11. They would definitely be in... And they would be actually at 11, I think they would, well, Clemson would be in there. They would be one of the four highest, which would, that means they would get a bye week into the corners. And they wouldn't get a home game. But um, even if they weren't like one of the top four highest conference champion, they would probably get a home game. And imagine having a SEC team like a, a Georgia an Alabama go to Utah at night. It's cold out. It's, you know, on top of the mountain and they're blacked out. Students are blacked out. It's going to be a great time. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's the argument that we've been having for a while now is the SEC. I don't think can play in cold weather. They can play in the rain. Anybody can play in the rain. It rains in the North. It don't snow in the South. So, I mean, even if you have to have Tennessee, where it might snow sometimes, they got to go to Penn State. That ain't happening. You know, you got Alabama or Ole Miss, any of those teams, and they got to go to anywhere where it's below 30 degrees. I don't even think their fans will show up.
0: <laughs> Who has uh, – yeah, 100% right, And uh, except for maybe Georgia's fans, because Georgia has a really good traveling fan base. Yeah. But uh, it 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 will be fun to see. And then, of course, we start down in the SEC, and then the SEC walks into Big Ten, Pac-12 country, where it's 15 degrees and just shellacks someone. And then it's oh well, thought we had that when we didn't. Uh, in the college football playoff, last thing we'll preview: Georgia, <laughs> Michigan, TCU, Ohio State. Who has the best uniforms?
1: Uh, I mean, to me it comes down between TCU and all black or Michigan and all blue. I like Georgia and all black too, but.
0: Uh, I am a big fan of TCU's helmets. Yeah. Big fan. Uh, the all black with the purple stripe right down the center. I, I like that. Not a big fan of Ohio State's all black. I like Ohio State no. in their traditional scarlet and gray. Mm-hmm. Georgia's nice. Georgia's nice. But I, I agree with you. I'm I'm gonna go with TCU in their all black, or at least with their black helmet and then all white pants. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know who's the home team and who will get to decide in uh, Georgia will be the home team in that game. I would assume Michigan. I would, would assume be Michigan if, since would, they're would be higher as well. Seed. So uh, Michigan's kind of always kept it until like a game day sort of announcement, but we'll both assume they'll be in all blue. Okay. So again, tune in in a couple weeks and we will preview each game, uh, New Year 6 as well, and we'll uh, tell you how to win your money. So let's do some coaching carousel. This is Simeon's favorite thing to keep track of in the world (laughs) is a coaching carousel and now the transfer portal. So we're going to do some of each. Here. Uh, and I have the most up to date information from CBS. It's my coaching carousel. And ESPN is my transfer portal. So let's just look at a few things. At Tulsa, Kevin Wilson, the Ohio mm. State offensive coordinator, replaces Philip Montgomery. Mm. Any thoughts I mean, about that or just whatever?
1: I think. When it comes to, like, OCs and DCs, it's kind of, like, you're not going to find out until you're at least halfway through the season, In my for most teams, you know. All
0: uh, right. True. Yeah. Um, this is his second stint as a head coach, apparently. Um, he was a sub-500 at Indiana from 11 to 16. Tulsa's kind of the same type of, you know, under program, how, and... However, the big dogs, the big dog. I think they're in the in the American big dogs in the American are leaving for the Big Twelve, Cincinnati UCF. So I guess there's a chance there. Speaking of Cincinnati leaving for the Big Twelve, Luke Fickle left for Wisconsin, which we both think is a a a plus hire for Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Fickle having the experience that he had at Ohio State, I mean. I think he's going to fit right in for Wisconsin. He's a culture guy. He knows how to recruit. And I think he's, I think he makes the big 10 West very
0: competitive now. Yep. I, I would be disappointed if Luke fickle and Wisconsin are not running the big 10 West in, in, in his second year. Like I'll give him next year to find the quarterback, whatever. But listen, Wisconsin's always going to have the big offensive line. They're always going to have a running back. That's what he loves. He's a Big Ten coach. And he went to the mo- in one of the most Big Ten schools that, when you say Big Ten, you think of. Outside of uh, Michigan and Ohio State. So, replacing Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is Scott Satterfield. Who was the coach when Appalachian State made the jump from FCS to the, S- the fun belt. And then... Um, and, it, and then was at uh, Louisville, where he went twenty five twenty four in his in his four seasons. They did go seven and five this year. I feel like this was a Louisville. He was underachieving in his fourth season at Louisville, and so they're like, "Hey, if another job comes up, why don't you just take it? That way." Everyone will be happy. You'll get a fresh start. We get to actually go try to find a coach that we won't over. That we, that you know might be yeah. able to overachieve a little bit. So, outside of that, CBS is giving that a C plus. You go from an unknown to a program making the leap this coming season to the big 12 that has a reputation with under Luke fickle of being one of the best, most disciplined balanced football teams in the country.
1: I think he'll have more success at Cincinnati than he will at Louisville. Just because Louisville's not a football school. And I feel like it's very hard to win a recruiting battle with Louisville. When you're in a, Team, the, it's just in a conference where the teams just aren't good. You know, you're competing with like Clemson, Florida State, and other ACC schools, where at the big the baseball will still be tougher. But I think it'll be easier to get kids to go to Cincinnati than it would be to Louisville.
0: I don't. I mean, Cincinnati is is, is Louisville like in the middle of nowhere? I think it's probably.
1: I would. I would say Louisville might be bigger than Cincinnati, but I think there's probably more going on in Cincinnati than Louisville. Because no, when you go for Louisville, you'd rather probably go to like Nashville than you would to Louisville.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Even Um, other different states. Louisville hasn't really maintained, sorry, Simeon told me that he's actually joined, if you if you can, uh, I guess you probably can't see it. He's joined out as, as producer because apparently we've been live streaming this whole time, just so you know. Okay. So he had to turn that off. So um, he just texted me. He's like, you're live streaming. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? He's like, turn it off. I was like, I don't know how to do that. He's like, I'll fix it. So I, I was trying to do that while you were talking. So I was just kind of coming up with things. But it looks like, yeah, it looks like he's turned everything off. So it's fine. Okay. Um, Louisville hasn't replaced Scott Satterfield yet. Tim Beck, who was the North, uh, the NC State offensive coordinator, took the job at in Myrtle Beach uh, for Coastal Carolina as Jeremy Chadwell took the Liberty job. Um, they gave Tim Beck taking the head coaching job an F. I,
1: I, I don't know about an F, but I mean North Carolina State really doesn't have that great of an offense to begin with. So I mean, I, I mean I would give him the benefit of at least a D until proven otherwise. But I mean that's that's going to be a tough one to fill.
0: So. Jeremy Tradwell, I haven't been impressed with. You won Rare. in the COVID year. You really haven't won since. You won this year. You went 9-2. and two, And then you got absolutely muck-ducked by Troy. And the game before that, which was JMU. And so I'm not impressed. Liberty is an independent. I believe they are joining Conference USA next year, though. So it, they'll be in a conference. But, like, Liberty's not this big-time school. They're just another school in Virginia. Uh, however, they do right now have recruiting. I would say strength over Virginia and Virginia Tech. There was a opening at Liberty because Hugh Freeze, which was the coach, went to Auburn. And if you remember, for those of you that don't know, he was at Old Miss, beat Alabama back to back years. Then all of the recruiting violations and personal life. Things came out about Hugh Freeze, left coaching for a little bit, came back as Liberty, kind of rebuilt his image or whatever, but now he's back at Auburn. So I don't really care about Jeremy Tridwell at Liberty. Who cares? <laughs> what do you think about Hugh Freeze and Auburn? Uh,
1: I think he's going to struggle at Auburn for at least two years. He's a good bad team. They had decent players, but I, they just had way too many missing pieces on that team. And I think it's another thing where you've got to get new offensive coordinators, got to get some new defensive coordinators. you got to empty the ship and then right the ship. And I think it's going to be – he might have some success the first year and the second year, but it's not going to be like, okay, Auburn's back. But you here's I mean? the thing.
0: How long are the boosters going to give them? Because they just gave Brian Harson, they wanted him gone after year one, so he goes five and seven, misses bowl game, four and eight, whatever. Because he does play in the toughest division in all of college football with Bama there. With I mean, they play in the toughest Conference, so if they get Georgia or Tennessee's now really good uh, in the West is Arkansas, not easy, and now Old Miss. Like you're looking at three or four losses right off the bat there in your first year with you know just thinking about possible schedule matchups are the the boosters have got to give him more time cuz he'll be labeled as a quote SEC guy right yeah. but if he goes 7 and 5 or I'm sorry 5 and 7 7 and 5 right that third year if he goes 8 and 4 they're going to write and try to throw him back out on the street and bring in someone else I feel like Auburn has turned into almost the Cleveland Brown quarterback programs of head coaches where as soon as something doesn't, I mean, Baker Mayfield's the winning is one of the winningest quarterbacks in Cleveland Brown history. They tossed him aside for a, a misogynist massager, LOL play on words. Good job, me high five. <laughs> um, uh, toss him aside like he was he was some scraps left over from dinner I, I Auburn's starting to get that reputation I coaches need to show improvement every year that third year they need to be like oh okay we're actually we got something we're not there yet but we're almost there and by year five it's gotta be. Go time. We are one game away from the, from the national championship. We are one game away from the SEC. We make the SEC title game. You know, we're competing for a playoff. We're in playoff conversation. I, I, I don't know if the boosters are patient enough at Auburn to even give a quote-unquote SEC guy five years to turn that program around.
1: I feel like, so with the SEC – I feel like the SEC that is why you have so many teams in the SEC that aren't necessarily powerhouses is because of this the whole like coaching mentality down in the SEC you have Alabama and you have Georgia those two have coaches that have been there for some time but when both of those coaches got there it wasn't like it's not like Saban turned it around the very first year and they were the champs you know when Kirby got there Kirby didn't uh, they weren't number 1 right off the bat with Kirby these teams these boosters these universities they just think that oh we got this coach that means the best recruits are going to come here that means we're going to be the best right off the bat they think it only takes one or two years rome wasn't built in a day I understand that teams want to win. I understand the boosters want to win. I understand everything is about money, but it, th- that's not how it goes. That's not a feasible thing. You need to build a team. You need to build a culture. You need to build a system. And it's you can't do that in one year. You can't do it in two. You need that three, four, five years. And if it's and you're at that third or fourth year and it's not that improvement – then that's when you can move, but you can't move them in the second year.
0: I I think, um, you know who the good coaches are or the great coaches are by when they do come into a program, and you turn it around like instantly. Like the fact, uh, but again, you got you got to look at the overall roster, right? So let's just take let's just take two examples. I'm very used to. Before the transit, before portal, okay, and that's when you really knew. Now, if you're a good coach, you go out, you you grab 20 transfer portal players, and you and you can turn around a franchise or uh, a program now, right? Urban Meyer went. The Buckeyes were six and six the year before he got there. Then they went 12 and 0 his first year, but they had probation. They they didn't make the national title game, et cetera, et cetera. Jim Harbaugh came in, took over five and seven Michigan program in his first year, went ten and three with the bowl game. Right. This was Har- This was Urban's third time doing it, turning around a program in one year, and everyone was like, "Okay, so Urban's legit." And then Harbaugh did it slowly at Stanford, but then went to the NFL and took like a four and 49 er team and took them to the NFC title game in his first year. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it kind of speaks if you do get that turnaround, but then you also have to be weary of the stories, like a Brady Hoke, let's say, where he takes over for a program, goes eleven and three with a uh, Sugar Bowl win in his first year, and then it's all downhill because those weren't his recruits. Right. So, is Hugh Freeze an elite coach? I don't think so. But again, as you said, are the boosters going to be patient enough? And they really have to be in order to make this thing work down in Auburn. Uh, Simeon was jumping in and he was listening to to us uh, as he was fixing our live stream thing. Um, And he goes. He doesn't like he doesn't like uh, Tim Beck to Coastal Carolina. Okay, so he's on our side. He corrected me. He said, Jamie Chadwell, not Jeremy Chadwell, as I called him. That was a good move for Liberty. Again, I'm not a big fan. Like, okay, congratulations. Now now you got to prove it. However, you left the conference to go. You left the better conference to take over a better team in a worse conference. So what really are you proving? And then he goes, I would have preferred Jamie Tra- Chadwell at Louisville. He also likes Tom, or he also says Tom Herman at FAU makes no sense. And that's his hot takes. I think Tom Herman to FAU, this is kind of rebuilding Tom Herman's image a little bit.
1: Yeah, this is kind of, this would be Tom Herman coming in and kind of doing what Hugh Freeze did. You're going to come in, Build something you might not be great, but you're getting that back on your resume. Because, I mean, him at Texas was kind of a disaster.
0: But Texas, Texas is another program like Auburn where you get, I mean, Sark's on the hot seat again. Yeah. Even though the media is not going to talk, he is. He cannot go seven and five like he did this year, or, or were they eight and four? I think they finished eight and four. He cannot do eight and four. He's gotta be ten and two, eleven and one going for the college football playoff because it's only gonna get harder. The yeah. boosters at Texas really gotta calm down. Because I believe Sark is an excellent coach and an excellent play caller, but again, the cult he has to build a culture. When you just keep turning over head coaches, no culture gets built. It just builds turmoil.
1: Yeah, I mean Texas really hasn't been anything like, yeah, they'll go out and, I mean, they definitely put on a show against Alabama, but like you can't turn around and then lose to Texas tech. Like that, that program is just falling apart. And part of me, part of me puts it on the boosters because they're just, they want Texas to be back and rightfully so. But they just, they just haven't, I guess, just found their guy.
0: I, I mean, it, it took, again, Harbaugh, an elite-level coach, as I said, seven years to get Michigan back. Seven years. And they were about to fire him. I said, players aren't listening to him. He needs to be fired. Now, instead of now what Harbaugh did is he went out and he got other voices, younger voices on the coaching staff, pulled them in, and that has seemed to work. So you can go and do that as well, uh, it, but it takes these good coaches time to build this program, and you're only going to have to be more patient as you move to the SEC because you can't have turnover every three years. Again, I, it, if next year he goes nine and three, great, wonderful, right? You, you, you're sniffing, you're sniffing the cotton bowl or sugar bowl or whatever. Right, you play well. You make a you make a title game, maybe. If then the next year he go well, then they'll join the SEC. Then it kind of you got to reset when you join the SEC. The boosters are going to want one thing, but the boosters have to reset their mind. This is big boy right. football. This is these Big Twelve players have to learn that these SEC players will punch you in the mouth, and they have to learn to get up and punch you in the mouth punch back in the mouth because every sec team it has to be able to do that in order to be uh, successful so let's talk about the biggest hire to this point which is Dion sanders from jackson state which is an hbcu uh, fcs school takes over a colorado program simeon wasn't a fan it's not bright light, but it, Colorado is a stepping stone, right? I believe if if, if um, Mike Norvell didn't succeed this year at Florida State, they would have dumped him and gone after Dion. but he's uh, they've retained him. he's having a good year. Jordan Travis is actually coming back for another for a fifth year so that'll be good in that offense because Jordan Travis has really been good down the stretch. Uh, for Florida State, Deion Sanders, they're given an A minus. I'm giving a B. It's good for recruiting. It's good for NIL deals, which will help recruiting. And he seems to know how to connect with kids and build a culture, right? Because he did that Jackson State. But he did it at Jackson State,
1: right? I'm going C, just because it's not. It's not the best, and it's not the worst. My thing with Dion is it's not going to be it, – it's going to be a culture shock for one thing at Colorado, but it's not so much going to be recruiting that is going to make Colorado good. It's going to be the fact that he's just going to transfer portal team, like players all across the country to this team. How long can you do that?
0: Well Mel Tucker's you know, finding out right now, isn't he? Right.
1: Exactly exactly. And he comes in and says his son is the quarterback. That's gonna be a wake up call, I think, very quickly. If I mean if they catch if Colorado comes out and we'll just say their first game is against Utah, USC or Oregon. And you're, you're telling me that his son is going to be able to stand in the pocket or run scramble, which is probably going to, what's going to have to happen, against some of these DNs that are just going to be coming off the edge that are just monsters, these five-star recruits, four-star recruits, compared to someone from, like, the SWAC, which for that conference, those kids are stars down there. But they're not stars in the Pac-12. No. Those are the one, two-star recruits for them. You know, granted, he is bringing, um, like, he's bringing his son. He's bringing uh, the corner. Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter. Yeah. I mean, he's coming with. Right. But you're not going to the NFL from Jackson State. No. So, I mean, and he's not even bringing his other son, who went to South Carolina, transferred to Jackson State. So,
0: yeah, that that, That's, that cracked, weird. That cracked me up. How do you know that your dad's favorite, right? Right, right. He he's bringing the quarterback, but not the safety. And even in the press conference, he's like, "Okay, so so Colorado, here's your new quarterback, right? Uh, he's going to have to earn it, which you know we'll see if he does. But more than likely, he's going to get the job. I would ju- because Colorado's roster is a dumpster fire. They're one of the worst teams in college football. But then you have. And then he goes. Uh, his brother's mad at me though because I didn't bring him along. Why wouldn't you just take him at least as a walk-on? Like money's no objects for the Sanders family, right? right. Because of Dion and endorsements and all that, right? Why on earth would you not bring your son, al- your other son, along? Like that is such a cold-hearted move. Uh, Dad of the Year Award stuff for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I- so they're. They're gonna have to yeah work through that at Christmas time
1: I also saw that he got like five years 29 million for the job and they did a there's a video that they were talking to the ad from Colorado and they asked him about the money and they said that they don't have the money for him right now but they're gonna get it How, for Dion for Dion. So they're hoping. I don't know if they're just hoping that the boosters are just going to give more money to pay for Dion.
0: If so I, they they promised him a thirty million dollar contract, but they don't have thirty million dollars.
1: Yes, if I, I, if I need to find it again to send to you that because it, that it's amazing.
0: Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> Okay. Good luck, Colorado. That's gonna go one of two ways. My guess is he's gonna get them to eight and four, and it's gonna be great, and they're gonna be in contention for Pac-12, and then a ACC or an SEC job's gonna open up, and he's gonna go to Colorado. Like my brother's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like it's just a stepping stone school, right? He FCS, low level FBS, builds them up, has a good season. Probably when his son leaves. And then he'll take another job. He'll be there three years, four years max. All right. So um, we're gonna get to. We'll do the cr- recruiting portal later um, in another episode. So if you wanna, if you wanna go, just type in on Google for everyone and know who's transferring. There was five hundred some yesterday. More got added today. Um, LSU's losing some people. Uh, Oklahoma State lost Spencer standards. DJ Uncle uh is uh, transferring from Clemson. Uh, Michigan today added Ladarius Henderson. He's transferring to Michigan. He's 6'5", 300 pounds, lineman with one-year eligibility. I told you, Robert, during the season, offensive lineman, that want to raise their draft stock, whether it be final years, kind of like their center, uh, Olo Olo Watimi, Michigan center right now, who was at Virginia last year, came in, and now he might win the Remington and probably be drafted in the first round as a center. uh, uh, He's had a brilliant year. So, um, again, with offensive linemen come running backs, with running backs come quarterbacks, quarterbacks come wide receivers. So Michigan's building the program in the right way. We know this. All right. So let's hand out some awards. Fourth and one yearly awards. These do not have to be awards The based off of the finalists. These are both of our awards. Um, and I will give you the position or category. You give me your winner. I'll give you my winner. If I don't hit a category that you want at the end, bring it, bring it up at the end. So here we go. Number one, let's start with quarterback. Who is your quarterback of the year?
1: Uh, out of the quarterback, I would say I still think it's Stetson Bennett. Okay. And I understand like the argument for Caleb Williams. I understand it for Max Duggan. Even CJ, but I mean, Stetson Bennett's the guy.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Yeah, I mean, he has those two big tight ends. He has the tight end that you know could be a number one overall pick, and then he has the giant who's nine foot seven and a half. (laughs) You know, run down the middle of the field in Darnell Washington. Uh, I'm gonna go with Michael Penix. Okay, I'm gonna take it a little. I'm gonna take it from your book. He was the nation's leading passer. Passer. Washington was just downright awful, and then the, he turns them around, and they went 10-2 this year. So uh, Washington um, really turned around. Kevin DeBoer, that system lets him throw a little bit, but Michael pinnocks in what he was able to do in his first year, and he's coming back again for another year. Um, to me, he was the best quarterback. You turn on the TV every time, and he is producing on television. Uh, let's go running back. Who is your running back of the year?
1: I want to say quorum just because of everything that he's done. And with the knowing that if he would have played the game, game and a half, two games that he ended up missing, I mean, he'd win the Heisman hands down. Um, with quorum missing those games, I mean, probably, I would. I would have with him missing the games. I would have to say Bijan, just because of him being the two-way back that he is.
0: Um, I'll allow it. I will allow that answer. I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to go with Blake Corum, just because Blake Corum missed two and a half games, still finished eighth in total rushing. and then uh, third or second in total touchdowns. He probably would have finished uh, top three in total rushing and probably would have been the total touchdown leader. I, I understand what Donovan Edwards is, has been doing the last two weeks is hurting my case and because it, it's really leaning on the offensive lineman. But he's just been out. I, I, I thought since the very first game it was, oh, he he is clearly the best running back in the country, at least to me. Um, okay, let's go with wide receiver. Who is your wide receiver of the year in college football?
1: I would say Marvin Harrison. I think for what he's been able to do, he's, for what he's been able to do on the team that he's on, he's been a very reliable and a very good receiver. Um, I could also see... Jalen Hyatt, but I would go with Marvin Harrison.
0: So Marvin Harrison had eleven seventy-two catches, 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns. Um, I am going to go with uh, the nation leader in both yards and receptions, and that's Charlie Jones from Purdue. Yeah, I get it. He's a six-year guy. Yes, he's a white boy. He will translate to a – um, just a slightly taller and skinnier West Welker in the National Football League, really good at reading uh, zone coverage and finding the holes there. Um, he was outstanding, especially from the program he came from, which was Iowa that likes to throw the ball the minimal amount after every game. I thought that what he was able to do in a Jeff Brom medium pass-heavy system like they still use the run, but they like to run it. Uh, I would have given it to Jalen Hyatt, but that's what that mostly that system is, which is vertical shots downfield, and so you just got to be tall and fast, and and you're going to get some yardage there. Marvin Harrison, I'm going to place um, second. His body control in air for being a sophomore is ridiculous, and then Xavier Hutchinson. Iowa State was really bad offensively, if you didn't know. I don't know if you know his stats. It is 107 catches for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. He was Iowa State's offense. I mean, I haven't. I don't think I've
1: seen and or heard of him this entire year. But that's also probably because no one has seen and or heard of Iowa State all year. Money, please.
0: So the money makers for most every single program is the offensive line. Um, who is your offensive line of the year?
1: I still gotta go with Michigan. I still think Michigan has the best offensive line. Yeah, uh, they Re- want know, repeat players.
0: They won the offensive line award. The Joe da- Joe Davis mm, something. It is I Joe Moore. The Joe, Joe Moore offensive. The Joe Moore best offensive line last year. I thought they were even better this year. Um, I, I I think that they they win it. Um, Tulane would be a close second for me. They they kind of really were able to control every single game I watched as well. So I'm going to give it to Michigan as well. All right. So
1: money please. The other
0: money maker, which is the defense, not defensive line, best defensive unit. Top-to-bottom, safety to nose tackle is who?
1: I would have to say the best from top-to-bottom would probably be Georgia's defense. I like Michigan's defense, but what I see from Michigan's defense is what I don't see from Georgia's defense. Georgia's defense seems to be pretty complete throughout where Michigan still has some holes.
0: Okay, uh, all, right. But I, all right. I see either one. I I'm I'm gonna allow I'll it. I'll allow it. You're missing the clear and obvious winner though. You're gonna hate me for saying this, but hey, I don't say it. Penn State. I'm not gonna say Penn State. Okay, just making but sure it is another big ten team.
1: Don't say okay. Iowa either. I'm
0: saying Iowa. Listen, you have to be at least top two in this award because you're literally responsible for winning the game, for not only stopping the team from scoring, but also scoring the football, okay? They, the amount of pressure put on them game in, game out, and every team knows it. Every team knows that Iowa is not having more than 250 yards of total offense in a game, And Iowa, you still need to win seven or eight games this year. And guess what? They go out and they win seven or eight games, okay? You're missing the obvious answer. Yes, obviously Georgia is the best all-around defense. They have the most talent, whatever. The best defense from top to bottom, in my opinion, is Iowa because of the pressure that their lack of offense puts on them.
1: I, can, I mean, yeah, okay. I can see it, but right? but in the same sense, I mean, defense wins the game.
0: Yeah, well, Which, wait. And I understand that. But when you're allowing 17 points a game and your offense averages two points a game, or it was like three points a game the first like quarter of the season their defense had actually scored more points than their offense through the first four games like come on so this is the attitude you gotta have
1: i'm the best there is plain and simple i mean i wake up in the morning i piss excellence
0: by the way that movie falls off a giant cliff like halfway through Mm -hmm. like it's it's such a will ferrell movie all right (laughs) (laughs) like it's so however spirited his movie with ryan reynolds yes a musical um, sort of really not a big fan of musicals. Very well done. And not really Will Farrelly. Um, best game. Game of the year. Again, I know the playoffs Natty are coming up and those can be contenders, but regular season play of the, or game of the year.
1: I would say game of the year, at least the ones that I remember would be I would, I would go the Tennessee
0: Alabama game no, no, just because pick.
1: that was like it was a very weird back and forth game where you thought Tennessee lost and then here comes a yellow hanky because there's pass interference in the end zone which gave them life and then and then Alabama lost which is always good
0: yeah so yeah I I'll allow it I'm a hundred percent I'm in agreement with you uh, Tennessee Alabama was great. Um, the, the runners up. I, I really, I really couldn't think of any other. Uh, USC Utah round one. That that's got to be in there. That was an excellent game. Neither team got a basically a defensive stop. There was one punt the entire game. Um, and Utah had to win it on a two point conversion. Um, I thought Notre Dame Ohio State week one was a great opening to the season. Very close game. Notre Dame just didn't have enough offense um, to kind of put things together, and then of course LSU and Alabama. You know, you win on the final play. You beat Alabama again. Alabama loses. All that good stuff. Okay, uh, best moment in this year's college football.
1: That's a tough one.
0: I'm I'm again I'm going to double dip with the best game. And it's got to be the after party of, no, you know what? I'm going to back up because I made that the best game. I'm going to encompass everything that, that went into that game, right? Uh, The, the, before the, after the buildup best moment for me was Appalachian state getting game day in the building and then winning on a hail Mary. That's my pick. That's my pick.
1: Yeah, I could see that one. I mean, other than that, I don't know if there's necessarily like a pr- like a prime moment that sticks with me, but I do remember like that specifically because it was even on ESPN's uh SportsCenter's top 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it it was just so so, you know, Magical. Game day's there. App State's having a good season up until that point. They kind of fell off at the end. And, and you'll win, you win it on the final play on a Hail Mary. That's always exciting. Um, so I'm going with App State. Um, oh, my goodness. Who did they even beat? Troy. Oh, they beat Troy. Okay, well, Troy. then there you go. So there was one of Troy losses. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, most improved team.
1: Most improved team, probably, I would add probably Tennessee. because I don't think Tennessee was even sniffing the field last year compared to – actually, no. Back that up. Yeah, Most improved right. team, Vanderbilt.
0: Oh, all right. Close. I like your thought process. Vanderbilt what, won five games this year, right? They won yes. five and seven. More
1: importantly, they won SEC games.
0: Okay. good, good. Good. You're still wrong. Kansas. Okay.
1: I can see that.
0: They hadn't but won they three all... more than three games since like Oh nine. They win six. They won up Vanderbilt. They make a bowl game. Kansas I mean, Lance Leipold yeah. just got an extension, right? Yeah.
1: They're like the same team.
0: Yeah. Basically just, you know, one, one had a, uh, a, a much better win. um, if Kansas would have been able to uh, be go 5-0 and, oh and beat TCU in that game, that probably would have been a good moment because fans would have had, a, had to storm the field. All right. Uh, this seems like an easy answer, but uh, I'll ask it anyway. Least improved team? Alabama. Really? You're going to go with Bama? Same division of the same conference. That team sitting right there. You're still going to go bat- Bama. With the least improved team
1: on what was supposed to be a last year was supposed to be the rebuilding year to this year when you lose two games to teams that you should have beaten and you didn't even make the playoff for a team that's supposed to be the juggernaut that they are. I would say that you're definitely regressing.
0: I'm still going to go with Texas A&M. Like, hit, ha- how do hit you- that
1: "I'll allow it" button. Okay, for me. all
0: right, all right. I'll allow it. All right, all right. I-, I, I understand. Listen, everyone's like, you have the best recruiting class ever. They're freshmen. They're not playing until next year. They're not going to make an impact until next year, or the year after. Okay. Still, though, you were a nine-win football team last year. Ten-win football team last year. You were top six coming into the season. You had a court, another uh, quarterback coming back that you believed in that was really good last year. Quarterback regresses, offense regresses, running game, offensive line, defense that was really good last year. People forget how good A&M's defense was, top 10. Way regresses to the point now you're 4-8 and eight and your bright spot, your best moment is beating an LSU team on the final game of the season. Come on. Yeah. But I see yeah. what you're. I see what you're saying in. In, in terms of preseason expectations, like I, I assume Bama was going 15 and 0. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, winning the Natty just didn't pan out that way. Um. Uh, USC. Um, also, I feel like listen. I think a lot of people think like they could have made the college football playoff, should have made the college football playoff. So um, any other categories I did not cover that you would like to cover, sir? Uh,
1: the best place kicker in college football. Oh,
0: oh best kicker in college football. Listen, I, I know that, that you want Moody in here, right? It
1: should be Moody.
0: He missed five field goals, and he's not accurate from beyond 50 yards.
1: He broke his record from last year,
0: and he won it last year. I, oh wait, hang on. I'm trying. I'm trying to find the stats for all the kickers. Um, I I, I understand that. The best kicker though is C. Dunn from from uh, NC State. He only missed one kick all year, and his long was 53. But, you know, I I will go. I'll go with because he did. He single handedly won the Illinois game and he put away the Michigan State game. Like, Michigan had two games this year where if Moody didn't go 4 for 4 and 5 for 5, they were losing. And especially in that Illinois game, I thought that that. I know this is silly. I thought that i put him in the Heisman, at least conversation. His name should be mentioned because he won that game. That was his Heisman moment, ice in the veins. But you, you know what? I'll give you a movie. I'll hit that button. I'll allow it. And uh, and 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 I will agree uh, with, with you. Any other categories I missed? There's only one
1: other category, and I don't know how much you'll know on this one. But okay. the, Jim, the Jim Thorpe Award. So the best
0: defensive back. Let me think here. Uh, well, DJ Turner's got to be up there. He only... I know that he allows quarterbacks to complete at 43% when throwing his way. Who you got, though?
1: Uh, Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. Okay. He, he gave Michigan... Tons of fits, super physical, and he—he he was one that you didn't. His stats aren't amazing, but you didn't throw the ball his way.
0: He was uh, gonna, that guy. Okay, all right. I'm going to change my. I'm well, not change my answer because DJ Turner really was just uh, again. I don't know much. I'm going to go Ringo, uh, okay. Kaylee Ringo from Georgia. Yeah. Every time I turn that uh, Georgia football game on. and they were throwing at him. He was in phase, turning around, running the route for the wide receiver, and either knocking it away or intercepting it. So I'm going to go Ringo from Georgia. All righty. Well, I think, everyone, that will do it for us. And this episode, Nazi FP Insider Roberto, thank you so much for joining us. Fancy Absolutely. Trash Can will hopefully be back next week. Don't worry, you'll see more of Roberto as we get closer to the college football playoff, I hope. I am, of course, your host, Captain Boring. Wash your hands and filthy animals. Be kind to one another. See you later. God bless you. Peace out.